0: the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, a good morning and greetings in the name of Jesus to everyone here this morning. Precious, precious name of Jesus. Name which is above every name. We've gathered in that name, and I trust we will uh, find him precious this morning. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. Well, I'd invite you to turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 10. So we're going to read here in Daniel chapter 10, we'd like to read all of this chapter down through verse 21 and then we'll consider uh, what we have here in this chapter. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were finished. I'm sorry, three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hittichel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with the fine gold of Uphah's. His body also was like the barrel, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision... But a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone, and saw this great vision. And there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, Then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, in hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael... One of the chief princes came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Then there came again, and touched me, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me, and said, O man greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened, and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael your prince." Stop there uh, for now. So, in this chapter, we have this vision that came to Daniel. And so, this vision and what followed, what was revealed to him, then, it's not uh, given in this chapter, but in chapter 11 and 12. We have the matter that was revealed to Daniel. So, the balance of this book here, Daniel's chapter 10, 11, and 12, are all uh, one vision that Daniel had. He was given to know what is to befall his people in the end of days. And We have here in in chapter 12, the very last verse, the book ends with this, But go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. So this revelation that Daniel received here had to do with the end of days and what shall befall his people. Now in chapters 11... And twelve, well, particularly the first part of chapter eleven, it does talk about things that were to come in in the near generations after Daniel, and then it goes on into things pertaining more to the very end of time. So, in this uh, opening here of this vision, we have. Daniel, it says that he was mourning three full weeks. He didn't eat bread and flesh or wine. He was seeking the Lord, and then he saw this vision. And it says here uh, that he understood the thing. He had understanding of the vision, but it says the time appointed was long. It's an indication that the revelation here is referring to a very long space of time, all the way down, I believe, to the end of time. So it begins with a marvelous revelation that Daniel had here of a man who, it says, was clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with the fine gold of euphas. And then it describes this being that he saw, this amazing person that had a face as the appearance of lightning and his eyes as lamps of fire. So uh, tremendous. You think of the appearance of lightning, you can't really look at lightning in, in its intensity, its intensity. Um, you, you get a flash of it, a glimpse of it. But eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass. It would seem that the description given here would correspond with other descriptions we have of the Lord Jesus in his glorified state. And it does seem like this was uh, Daniel being given a glimpse of this glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Before he came to the earth, it parallels much of John's description of the glorified Christ in Revelation chapter 1. And it describes here that when he, uh, verse 8, Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision and there remained no strength in me for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption and I retained no strength. And he, uh, when he heard these words, it says he was in a deep sleep on his face and his face toward the ground. That parallels other uh, places where men saw the glorified Christ and fell prostrate on the ground. Now it's not real clear here in the what follows, but as best as I understand, this vision that he saw here uh, was was came to an end there in one sense in that it says in verse 10, And behold, a an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. Now what's not real clear is that as it's written here, it would appear perhaps as this being that he saw was then placing his hand. But in the following verses, it would appear that this was a, another being, uh, possibly the angel Gabriel, because it it makes reference to things that came before when Gabriel came to Daniel. And so, my understanding of this passage is that he saw this glorified being, which I would believe to probably be Christ, in his glorified state. He was given to see some of that. He fell upon his face, and then an angel came to him and put a hand upon him. And what you find following then was the dialogue between Daniel and this angel. And then this angel uh, revealed some things to him. There was some conversation here. We'll look at that a bit as we go along here. And then... At the end of this passage it says, But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael your prince. Now let's go into the next chapter, the first verses. It says, Also I in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I, stood to confirm and to strengthen him. And now will I show thee, the truth, behold there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and so on. And then he goes into the details of this vision, and that follows then through chapters 11 and through chapter 12, and we find that the conversation is continued even to the very end of chapter 12. So what I would like to do in this uh, portion today, in chapter 10, we have this setting here where this vision came to him, and I would just like to draw out of this passage three things uh, that are not necessarily what is directly taught here, but things that apply to us in our day that... Relate to this passage. The three things I would like to speak about are, first of all, the first one is spiritual warfare. The second I would like to speak about is fasting. And then the third one would be our position in Christ. So I'm drawing out of this passage Some of these topics, not necessarily what was specifically taught here, but it does relate, as you will see as we go through here. So on the first point about spiritual warfare, we have in this passage a description of angelic beings and some of their mission. We have here what I believe was the angel Gabriel, and I take that from the previous chapter 9, it says in verse 21, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, uh, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And the reason I think it was Gabriel is because in chapter 11, the first verse says, Also I, in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I, stood to confirm and to strengthen him. I believe that to be the angel speaking these words. And we find in the previous chapter 9 that in verse 1 it says in the first year of Darius the son of Ahasuerus of the seed of the Medes which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign I, under, I Daniel understood by books the number of the years and so on and after his prayer we have the angel Gabriel coming to him and so in this vision that he has now This is in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So there is a good space of time between chapters 9 and chapter 10 in terms of the vision. So now he has this vision in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. But in the dialogue then, it says, Also I in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I, stood to confirm and to strengthen him. And while I don't understand that, Uh, very clearly, I just take it to indicate that he's making reference to the former visit that was in the first year of Darius the Mede. So that we are most likely uh, considering the angel Gabriel here. The second one that's mentioned is Michael. And he refers there to, in verse 13, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, Came to help me. So there was a battle there in the spiritual realm where this angel that came, probably Gabriel, was being opposed by the prince of Persia. It says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. That would be three weeks. That corresponds to the three full weeks that Daniel was seeking the Lord and fasting. So it would appear that from the time Daniel first began praying, he was the angel came with the message but was opposed by the prince of Persia. And then Michael, uh, the chief prince, came to his aid. We do have Michael referred to again in chapter 12 where it... Verse 1, and at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. In the New Testament, Michael is referred to as the archangel, and we also have Gabriel named. These are, I believe, perhaps the only two angels that are specifically named in the scriptures, Gabriel and Michael. And so, we have both of them here. They are assisting one another. It does seem that Michael also, as it says in chapter 12, that he was the great prince prince which standeth for the children of thy people. It would seem that perhaps Michael had a special connection with, uh, as Daniel calls, my people, the children of Israel. I'm just mentioning some of these details as we consider this matter of spiritual warfare. And some have taken some of the details from this passage and attempted to understand or even teach specific things in relation to spiritual warfare. One of the things that's drawn from this is the concept that there are certain um, angelic beings or even fallen angels such as demons who are responsible for certain areas, certain uh, uh, perhaps countries or even cities or regions. And so the concept there is that that these uh, demonic powers have control over certain areas and that we, and as they apply it to our day, that we need to war against these spiritual powers and wickedness in certain areas and regions. And they even take it a bit further and say that these powers of darkness need to be bound in some manner or other before we can really... uh, See the kingdom of God advance. Well, the scripture is not real clear, and there are several things we should consider in this matter of spiritual warfare. In the New Testament, it is very clear that there is a spiritual warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And those principalities and powers does seem to be referring to ranks of angels. We find that uh, by comparing several other passages, but it's very clear that our wrestling... Uh, And and in that passage there in Ephesians chapter 6, prayer is a major part of it. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And in Corinthians it says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So there we have the concept of strongholds and these principalities. So these rulers have areas of stronghold. Those are uh, concepts in the scriptures. However, I think we must be careful not to intrude too far into these concepts and come up with theologies and methods that are really not supported by scripture. There is a warning in scripture that we should not vainly intrude into things that we don't understand, and even refers to us being puffed up in our fleshly mind. There can be this concept that we know a lot about the spirit world and spirit powers, and there are whole doctrines built on this, and you can find books that describe how this is done and what you should how you should do this and all of that and i would caution us not to go too far into that realm of things and rather keep our mind focused on the scriptures and i will give you an example of that in the new testament in the book of acts you have the the disciples and the um, and particularly paul there And the disciples of Christ had experience with demons. They had cast them out of people, so they were very familiar with what this whole picture of spiritual warfare, what it really was. And remember it was Paul in his revelations and his writings is instructing the believers what they should do and telling us that our warfare is not carnal, it is against these powers of darkness, these uh, principalities and so on. But you will note in the book of Acts where Paul went to the city of Athens. And it tells us that this city was wholly given over to idolatry. So if you want to think of a demon infested place, this would be it. The city of Athens, wholly given over to idolatry. And Paul made it clear that the the idols they serve are not, uh, you know, they can't see and hear and anything, but behind them are demonic powers. So Paul is familiar with all of this. So what did Paul do in that case where he had a demon-infested city? Well, he preached the gospel. He got out on the street and he preached the gospel. And there are some who would say, well, in a case like that, in order to have the gospel prevail, you need to bind these powers. And they talk about walking around the city and praying and, and uh, doing certain rituals and whatever to bind up these spirits. But we don't find that in the instructions in the New Testament. We find that when Paul came against those powers of darkness, he preached Christ and him crucified And they saw the power of God working, and there were people converted. Now, that's not to deny that there are are spirit powers. They they do exist. The scripture says we are not to rebuke these demonic powers, uh, specifically making mention there of Michael the archangel contending with the devil over the body of Moses. He did not bring against him a railing accusation, but he said, The Lord rebuked thee. I do believe it's right for us to pray that the Lord would rebuke away the powers of darkness. That seems to accord with scripture, but we should not be... um, Declaring dominion over these powers and those types of things, but rather just praying that God would rebuke them away from us. I think we can pray for protection against uh, them. Paul prayed that the Lord or that the Word of God would have free course. Now we know that Satan does oppose the work of the kingdom. And he comes and he wars against. But we have the power of God where uh, it says that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. And so there is uh, certainly warfare that goes on. I do believe that Satan comes and he opposes. There are times... um, And it seems especially so in other nations where there is much more awareness of the spirit world. I'm not sure that there's particularly more activity there, it's just a little more out in the open than it is here perhaps, but... There have been many testimonies of Christians who have felt very uh, direct opposition, perhaps sicknesses and so on, uh, in their efforts to present the gospel. And that is true. I don't think we should deny that or think that it won't happen. However, we put our confidence in the Lord, not in some... um, some of man's thinking on how devils are to be um, opposed, but rather by prayer and supplication we make our requests known to God and we wrestle in prayer against these powers of darkness. Yes, we pray for God's protection and then we also resist the devil that he might flee from us. Now, more specifically to this passage, there is the indication here that there was the prince of Persia. And I think it could very well be true that there are certain powers of darkness, principalities, there are um, demonic princes that are over regions, cities, what have you. But we're not really instructed to war in that sense. Where we need to identify who they are and try to bind them up and all that, uh, I think is a distraction from what God would call us to. But we should rather uh, make our supplication to the Lord and recognize that it is the power of God and the power of the gospel that brings salvation. Okay, going into the second uh, thing I would like to speak about is fasting. Now, again, we'll only touch on some aspects of fasting. This is not a detailed uh, description of fasting, but several thoughts that came to me in relation to this passage here. So we have... Daniel, having a type of fast, and I say a type because it is not clear that he abstained from all food, but it says here that he was mourning, verse 2, and verse 3, I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Some commentators seem to think this wording indicated that he maybe just ate very basic food, uh, nothing particularly pleasant, but rather restricted himself to just some very basic food. Uh, Whether that's how it was or not, I'm not sure, but there was a sort of fasting here. Well, then we find that while he was fasting, there was this conflict going on in the spirit world of which he was not aware for these three weeks while he was fasting. Now in the New Testament, we also have a connection with the powers of darkness where Jesus instructed his disciples that as they were attempting to cast out an evil spirit out of this young boy, and were unable to do so, when they inquired, Jesus told them that this kind goeth not forth but by prayer and fasting. So there is a connection with fasting and warring against the powers of darkness. Again, we don't always know or can't discern the exact connection between fasting and warring against the powers of darkness. And again, I don't think that should be overly concerning to us because when we fast, we are not always able to discern exactly how this... um, In other words, the benefits are not immediately obvious. For example, when you fast there is a certain subjection of the body you keep your body under and that which the body would like to do is, is subdued. And when you do that, you will have physical effects. And for example, in a three-day fast, if you were fasting for three days, and particularly if you're not that accustomed to fasting, but if it, uh, even if you are, there's some physical pain. Uh, And maybe, maybe pain isn't quite the right word, but discomfort, certainly. And you probably, most times, you will feel more sick than spiritual. So you might go into this with zeal and think, well, now that I'm fasting, I will feel closer to God, and I will feel spiritual. Well, many times you will feel your body resisting and you will feel sick and you probably will feel more like taking a nap than feeling like praying. And you just have to press through and realize that this is this is part of what fasting is about. I remember years ago, there was a young man who was earnest in fasting and he was, I'm not sure, doing a two or three day fast and in the second day, and this was over a weekend where there was preaching and he was really entering in in zeal to pray for the work of God and the preachers and, and so on. And at one point he just said he just feels like there's such an intense spiritual battle. He feels nauseated and he just he, can, he f- hardly finds strength as he's fasting here and he just felt like it was an intense spiritual battle. Well, I tried to assure him that this is maybe more common than he would think and that is that when you fast, your body feels weak and it can actually be nauseated and is not particularly a spiritual attack. I'm not sure whether I was able to reassure him in that or not, but I believe in reality that's how it is. The nausea is probably not just an outright spiritual attack. It's more our body just not really comfortable with, with this kind of a discipline. But don't be discouraged. Don't let this feeling of sickness and not being spiritual rob you of the blessing and joy of actually humbling your body and saying, yes, I will fast. I can say from some of my experience that... There are times, at least when you're looking at a three-day fast or if it's longer, there are times when your mind tends to clear a bit more and you can actually think better and you can pray better. uh, But that isn't just automatic or it doesn't come all the time. There are times when you just, like I said, you feel more like taking a nap than, than really feeling like praying. And I believe that's simply our bodies, just somewhat, that's, that's the way it is. It's not a spiritual attack. It's just something we need to press through. And you, you may have gone into this fast thinking, well, uh, my mind will be now be clear. I will be closer to God. I will feel like praying. I can have some intense prayer time. Well, there's some, just some physical obstacles that, that might make it seem like you're not getting through to God. Well, going back to what I said earlier, it is often difficult for us to see the exact or direct correlation between the effect of our fasting and what we are gaining spiritually. And I don't think that should discourage us We should just accept it, that God asks us to fast. When you fast, you are drawing nigh to God. Even when you might not feel like it, it is God's method to allow us to set aside what we normally do and draw close to God. So that's... uh, just some practical thoughts on fasting. Now, going to the third part of our position in Christ. And what draws me to that is what it says here concerning Daniel. The angel said. And which verse is it here? Verse 11. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. And in the previous chapter, uh, where we have Gabriel specifically mentioned as speaking to him, he uses the same expression, a man greatly beloved. Now, Are you greatly beloved of the Lord? You know, we tend to think, okay, so Daniel was special here. He was, you know, his experience was uh, so far above mine, and that's true, It, it was. He had revelations that we probably never will. He did have a specific mission Uh, that God had called him to, and he was given knowledge and revelations of things to come. We probably won't have that. But I would like for us to think that God does have a place for us in his kingdom. And I fear many times we as, as people of God do not consider well enough where we are in Christ and that we need to find our strength and our satisfaction in Christ. Now, I know there's a lot said these days about uh, self-esteem and and I don't think we should be focusing on self-esteem. I think we should try to understand who we are in Christ. And I... I think we would spare ourselves a lot of grief and difficulty if we would settle in our mind this faith and confidence that God knows us, and he has our circumstances well in view, he has not forgotten us, and and he is there to help us. There are in the scriptures various times when specific people are mentioned with some special, uh, what we would think of, recognition from God. Moses was a man chosen of God and he was more meek than all other men upon the face of the earth, it says. Abraham was called the friend of God. Enoch walked with God. And here we have Daniel who was beloved of God. We have David, who was a man after God's own heart. Can we ever attain to that? Well, I think the answer is yes. In some sense, we can attain. And again, it's not that we are going to strive to reach that recognition. For example, the passages that we were memorizing here in the words of Jesus, he said, when you pray, don't stand in the street corners and don't be making long prayers that you might be seen of men, but enter into your closet and you make your supplication in in privacy between you and God. You are doing business with God You are not praying so that you might be seen by men as having some special connection with God. You are privately praying so that you have a special connection with God whether men recognize it or not. You are not seeking for that recognition. The same with giving of alms. You do that as unto the Lord. Something that is going on between you and God. And yes, we do it for the benefit of our fellow men, but we don't do it to be seen of them. And all of this is part of how we see ourselves before God. If you think that God has forgotten you, and maybe you don't go so far as to say that God has forgotten you, You just feel like he hasn't thought about you for quite a while. What is really going on between you and God? Because if there is a separation between me and God, it's not God who moved, it's me. And if I draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to me. It's just a basic principle. somehow there needs to be a settled feeling in my heart that God will meet me when I come to him. And it's not based on my feelings, it's uh, based on my confidence that in time God will meet my need. Let's think of Daniel here. He was in some kind of fasting and and some attitude of supplication before God for three whole weeks. Now, think of Daniel's life prior to this. We only have various parts recorded in his life, but the rest of his time he lived for God. We have the glimpse there of him praying three times a day and how he was cast into the den of lions for that. But after he came out of the den of lions, did he stop praying? I don't think so. He just kept living his life day after day, week after week, year after year. He believed in God and... And the fact that he was greatly beloved of God is not just because he was fasting for three weeks. It wasn't just that he prayed those times when the men were looking and finding fault against him. I believe it was based on a consistent walk with God. That's why God could say that he was a man greatly beloved. And so it is with you. It's very common for all of us at some point or other to feel like life isn't quite what I expected it would be. Somehow, there's disappointments, there's difficulties, there's distresses. For some people, it's a debilitating health Problem that is so chronic and so persistent that we just are tempted to think that God has overlooked me. There might be financial difficulties of a persistent nature. There might be broken relationships that just seem to have no answer. But where is God? He hasn't forgotten us if the very sparrows don't fall to the ground without God seeing it, if the very hairs of our head are numbered, then all of those difficult times are times for us to seek after God and to draw nigh to Him in confidence that I am beloved of God and I might not feel it today, and maybe if I fast, I might not feel it directly, but you will in time. As you draw nigh to God, God will draw nigh to you. And God has a plan for your life in bringing you through the circumstances that you are called to. If you think of what was it just last Sunday, when Brother Dale was preaching about the... Um, the story of David there and how he chose five smooth stones out of the brook. And that was a, uh, a representation of the Spirit of God working in, in, in David's life. But David didn't look at just the immediate circumstances. He looked beyond. He saw what was going on in the spirit world and he took action. This giant is defying uh, the God of heaven. Well, so we need to find in the daily distresses of our life, we need to find that eternal perspective. That God isn't doing this to punish me or God is not doing this just to make my life miserable. God wants me to draw nigh to him. we can look at the example of the children of Israel when they were at the promised land. Of the spies that went in to observe, there was ten who came back very discouraged, convinced that this wasn't going to work. There was just no way that they could make it in this land with all the giants. And there were two who said, yes, we are well able God is with us. God promised this. And they were looking, not at their immediate circumstance, but where they were in Christ. They saw that they were people of God, and God had promised this, and God would surely carry through what he had promised. That was that step of faith to say, God is with us. Yes, we have we have circumstances in our life that seem you know impossible. But with God all things are possible. If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven. Doesn't he want to clothe your life with, uh, with success? Maybe not success as we tend to measure it, but but success in the sense that I, by faith, have drawn nigh to God. I have cast my lot with the people of God. I am pressing into the kingdom. I am walking by faith, and by faith I will lay hold of the promise of God. And God will show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are turned toward him. So could we draw that from this story of Daniel here, where Daniel was a man greatly beloved, I believe it was simply that he recognized who he was in Christ, not not in in any kind of a self-inflated concept. Rather, he had a very, uh, I think, a humble view of himself, and he did spend time just seeking God, doing this fasting, and drawing nigh to God. And God came through, and so God will come through in your life as well if you seek uh, first the kingdom of God. May the Lord bless you with that study.